Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Hey, everybody. I got a great one today. And normally I'd add, and this time I mean it, but we got Andy Slavitt. And Andy Slavitt is always great. Always great. And that's why this is his uh, sixth podcast with me. But this time, Andy's a big shot. You had to be a big shot, didn't you? I I think that's right. Uh, Andy is now the senior advisor on the president's coronavirus task force. Now, he's been a big shot before. He was the acting administrator uh, for Medicare and Medicaid, a trillion-dollar agency. Uh, during the last two years of the Obama administration, a trillion-dollar agency. He was head of the thing. If Andy had just skimmed one one-thousandth of, of their budget, he'd be a billionaire. Think about that. But he didn't. But in, in, in the previous five times that Andy, uh, I've, I've had Andy on, he's been uh, the former head of CMS, like I'm a former senator, so not such a big shot. Uh, but if you've heard him on the podcast before, you know he's an enormously knowledgeable, thoughtful, effective resource on the coronavirus. And every one of my previous podcasts with Andy has been among the rare great ones that we do. And now Andy's a big shot. He's working in the White House now. And you can tell right off the bat it's gone to his head because when... Um, we recorded this a couple days ago. Uh, it was during his lunch break. And right off the bat, he asked, can I eat? Can I eat during the interview? And of course, I said, no, no, this isn't an audio medium. You can't hear someone's lips, you know, smacking during a podcast. And so less than 10 minutes into this, you'll hear Andy while Answering a question, you'll hear this. And I go, are you eating? And uh, he says, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's embarrassed. Uh, you'll hear it. You'll hear it. And, um, and then for the rest of the podcast, he does not eat. Uh, and so after we're done recording, uh, Andy tells me what happened. He had a tub of cream cheese from some very popular deli in in D.C. Uh, He had a little tub of candied salmon cream cheese, which sounds terrible to me, but he says it's unbelievably uh, addictive. And Peter, you've had it, right? I have had it. And it's really good? It's amazing. They take this salmon that they cure with, like, honey and some spices, and they mix it with cream cheese, and, oh, boy, is it good. Well, anyway, what had happened is that while we were talking, Andy, during the interview... Uh, and he told me after this, afterwards, that he had completely unconsciously stuck his finger in the tub and scooped up uh, some cream cheese uh, with the finger and was eating it when I caught him. 
And um, you'll hear him say on the podcast, right after I bust him, that he was blushing. And he told me that because he didn't realize he was eating, but he realized uh, that not only was he eating, but he was doing something pretty disgusting. He stuck his finger in the cream cheese. But And then, of course, he he was actually not at the White House. He was a few blocks from the White House at his apartment, and his wife, Lana, had to eat out of that same tub. Okay, okay, we're done with, with that. Um, another thing you'll hear us uh, talk about is something that I'm kind of obsessed with, which is the 95% effective figure that you hear about the Pfizer vaccine. And I know what that means, but no one knows what that means. No one I ask, when I ask friends, they don't know what it means. They think, do I have a 5% chance of getting the virus if I take the Pfizer vaccine? No, 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 no. It's much, much more minuscule than that. So I'm gonna, I think it's really important for people to understand what the 95% figure means, what the Pfizer's 95% effective means. And I had Dr. Fauci explain it when he was here on the podcast a while ago, but I, I just, I can't do this enough. This is very, very important. So I have Andy explain it, and he does a decent job. I asked him to explain, he does, a, he does, a, he, then I take a shot at it. And frankly, I don't do a great job. And Andy gives me some crap for it. And I don't edit any of that out. I don't, you'll, you'll hear that. And I keep it in for two reasons. First, it's kind of funny. Also, it's just me and Peter. And frankly, you know, I often say this podcast is like the daily without the resources of the New York Times. But this is so important. I want to take another shot at it. What this 95% effective figure means. Okay. So here it is. These vaccines are tested in a double-blind study. In the Pfizer double-blind study, there were two groups, as there always are. Those who got the placebo, now 21,830 people got the placebo. And those who got the vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, also 21,830 people. In the study, in the placebo group, in the placebo group, 162 got the virus, tested positive for the virus. In the Pfizer group, eight people. Eight people is 5% of 162. That's where the 95% effective figure comes from. That's what that means. It's a comparison. Only 0.74% of the people in the placebo group got the virus, were infected by the virus. 162 is 0.74% of 21,830. Only 0.037% of the Pfizer folks got infected. Eight is 0.037% of 21,830. So only 5% as many folks in the Pfizer group got infected as in the placebo group. Hence, it's 95% effective compared to the placebo group. But it's unbelievably effective. And not only that, but the ones who get infected after they've taken the Pfizer vaccine, they don't get sick. That's the big deal here. And you'll hear Andy describe it because there's different levels of sick. There is uh, getting a, a little bit of a fever. 
and then they're sicker. And you don't get sick. You don't get real sick. That's the thing. And, and the reason I'm emphasizing this is I just want everyone to take it. This is the polio vaccine. This is the smallpox vaccine. If everyone took this vaccine, we would get rid of the virus. If everyone in the world, everyone in the world. And there's a bit of a race here because when people don't take it, there's a chance for them to get infected. There's a chance for the virus to mutate. And there's a chance to develop a, a, a variant that the, that the vaccine doesn't work on. So that's why, now I know, I know, I know if you're listening to this, you intend to get, if you haven't already gotten the vaccine. But I just tell people this, especially the, the, the friends of yours who may be in that group for, that for some reason don't intend to take the vaccine. Um, you know, we, we know that 50% of male Republican voters have no, don't intend to take the vaccine. And that is, is not just bad for them, it's bad for everybody. So I hope that explains that. I, I think you'll get a lot out of uh, this conversation with Andy Slavitt. He really is a treasure. They're really working really hard in the Biden administration to do this right. And uh, I think you'll enjoy this. It's a, it's a great one for a change. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that, means, that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now... Get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Am I allowed to eat while we do this? No. I'm kidding. Well, you know, it's funny because um, when I first did my Air America radio show, uh, we did a few test shows, and I didn't I didn't really understand radio, and one of the things was in audio is don't eat. <laughs> and Catherine Lanford, who's my co-host, uh, chided me. And then we used to do a thing called mastication theater, <laughs> where we'd have like, you know, uh, I'd be uh, 
Dick Cheney eating and and Condoleezza Rice. She'd be Condoleezza Rice and we'd be at a restaurant having a conversation. That was cute. It was cute. Well, you know, I'm nothing if not cute. Andy Slavitt is with me. Uh, Andy, I think this is, you, you are now by far the most frequent guest on the Al Franken podcast. That's nice. Nice to be back. Thank you for having me back. Well, that's thank you for coming back because now you're a big shot. Uh, and uh, what is your title? I don't even know your title. You're what? What's your title? I'm the senior advisor for the COVID response in the White House. That's a big job. I think you're doing a good job, by the way, you guys. Well, thanks. It is a great team. I will say that. I, I Whether we're doing a good job or not, I think we're, we're on our way. We obviously have a lot of work to do, but it is a, I mean, the, the president has brought in people who are, they really know what they're doing. And that's, that's nice to see. It's encouraging to be a part of everybody in the team has kind of been in situations like this before. Well, Jeffrey Zients is heading up uh, the task force. Is that Jeffrey correct? Zients is the White House kind of czar, the COVID response coordinator. You've got Ron Klain, who's the chief of staff. So he's working on many other things, but he as you know, and as you, probably a lot of your listeners know, oversaw the Ebola response. Right. And you know, one of the differences, um, I think, in this uh, administration, you had Tony Fauci on, is, is that the scientists uh, are really playing a prominent role. Uh, they're basically doing and saying everything that they believe. And uh, so they're a big active part of the team. Same with the career civil servants. So it's a much more, I think, unleashed effort than we've had before. Yeah, and I want to get into, for example, the CDC, and I know that there was not only just political interference, but actual language that was inserted by the Trump political team into stuff that the CDC put out, and that stuff is being excised. Is that correct? Yeah, that came out this this week. Um, Probably not a big surprise to your listeners that that was the case. (laughs) Yeah. Let's get into some of the most current stuff, one of which is, and we talked last night a little bit, about uh, the sort of the number one group that will not or is is worried about taking or won't take the vaccine are Republicans, ma- ma- male Republicans who voted for Trump. Is that it? Yeah. That's like 50, 50% in, in many surveys uh, say that, at least currently, say that they don't plan to take the vaccine. Okay, and that's a problem because we want herd immunity. Because everybody, yes, everybody should take the vaccine. It's good for them. It's good for their family. It's it's good for the country. Now, Trump uh, said earlier also, or within the last week, that he wants more credit for the vaccines. And uh, he we should give him, uh, why not? I mean, he did uh, finance, right? He did, he did everything he could to help uh, Operation uh, Warp Speed, including uh, that name, uh, which uh, Barron came up with, that's my theory. <laughs> look, look, if it helps for the for Republicans to know that the Democrat, the Democrats and Republicans have all been working on this effort together, if that is what persuades them to take the vaccine, it, it's, it is in fact true. There are a lot of things that were done in the Trump administration or started that we're carrying on. Now, I don't think that that's actually how people, Democrat or Republican, but in particularly 
It seems to be true of conservatives. I don't think that's how they make their decisions about the vaccine. They tend to be much more local, much less disbelieving of politicians, including Trump, by the way, in in making decisions uh, about taking the vaccine. So, you know, people have been asking us, well, why don't you ask Donald Trump to do a PSA? And you know, the answer is, you know, I don't think he needs a, an engraved invitation to do a PSA. He can do a PSA if he wants to do a PSA. Probably should do a PSA. But I, I don't think that's the most important thing in moving the needle. I think the most important thing in moving the needle is something much more radical, which is just answering people's questions about the vaccine, because the results are so positive that if you just answer people's questions, I think more and more people will end up taking it. I did think of a PSA actually, which would be Biden and Trump together. And it'd start off with, hi, I'm, you know, President Joe Biden. I'm former President Donald Trump. We we don't agree on a lot. For okay. example, I think he stole the election. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd go, and I think that he should have been uh, uh, convicted uh, in the impeachment. And But we do agree on, on the vaccine. Think that would help? I can't say for sure that they'll do it, but I think if you pitch it the right way, maybe they will. Okay, thanks. Well, you know, you're 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 the senior advisor to the damn thing. So you think if I have one shot to give President Biden some advice, this would be it. Just tell him it was my idea. <laughs> okay, Mr. President, I know I don't have much of your time. <laughs> okay well you're saying that like telling them how effective this is i know a lot of smart people right most of my friends almost all of my friends if i say okay you know the pfizer uh, vaccine is 95 percent effective right? and they go right i go do you know what that number means and they don't no one knows what that number means really i had fauci on and he explained it i knew what it meant. But why don't you explain it, what that number means? And I think that if people knew that, it might make them more inclined to take the vaccine. Well, if you have two groups of people, say your family and your wife's family, and one of the one family, all of them took the vaccine. And let's say, you know, let's say Franny's family was the same size, uh, her, you know, your in-laws, and they didn't take the vaccine. There'd be 95% fewer cases on your side than on her side. Infections. This, this is, I, I think I can do it more effectively than you. Okay, this is what you're talking about is a blind study, right? Is what you do when you test the uh, Double the blind vaccine. studies, that's exactly right. Double blind studies. So what you do is you have a placebo group and then the group that gets the shot, gets the mm-hmm. vaccine, right? Okay, how many people are in those groups? How many were in the, uh, let's say, the Pfizer study? Well, the Pfizer study, there are about 30,000. In each group? In, in total. In total, 15,000 each group. Yeah. Okay, the 95% means, f- effective means, that only 5% of the number that got infected in the placebo group got infected. So it wasn't that 5% of the people who took the vaccine got the virus. It meant 5% of the percentage of the placebo group, right? So you seriously think you did a better job than me? No. 
but I thought I was going to do a better job than you when I started this. <laughs> the the difference is that number that that ninety five percent that five percent people think oh I guess I get it five percent of us will uh, get even though we've gotten the vaccine can get the virus and die, and the two things are one you won't get really sick and die that's one which is really important and two it's not five percent get the virus it's five percent of the per- of the number in the uh, placebo group. You said something else that was really very important in there, which is that the really sick and die part, because they have what <laughs> yes, you call. That's a, that's, a, that's a big part. Yeah, yes. Well, they have what you call endpoints, okay, when they do these studies. An endpoint is just kind of what result are you looking for? One endpoint is called a mild end. By the way, you are eating, aren't you? Well, a little. I ate a little. I ate a little bit. Um. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm also now, now I'm blushing. Um, okay. But we can't, this is an audio medium. Okay. So there's a 5% endpoint. There's an, there's three endpoints. There's a mild endpoint, which is, did I get a runny nose? Roughly speaking, there's a moderate endpoint, which is, did I get a fever? And then there's a severe endpoint, which is, did I get even sicker? And, and, and that sicker includes getting hospitalized or dying. In all three of the vaccines, the Johnson & Johnson, the Pfizer, and the Moderna, you had pretty much after 30 days a zero in terms of the number of people that actually got the severe endpoint, got sick, got hospitalized, and died. And that's on an absolute basis. Now, it doesn't mean that when you go from 30,000 to 300,000 or 3 million that there won't be cases of people who do get very sick. But it does mean that there was an extraordinary result in these uh, in these studies. And I think that's maybe, maybe, maybe that will make people who are a little resistant anyway, more likely to uh, get it if they understand how unbelievably effective it is. Right. And that they, they not only have an incredibly small chance of getting infected, but they also have basically zero chance of getting so sick that they get hospitalized and die. They probably, thus far in the United States, right, no one has gotten, like, sick who's been inoculated. We could be sitting here right now, think of it this way, we could be sitting here right now with no vaccine. And in fact, you know, it was probably a very likely case a year ago that we'd be sitting here now without a vaccine. So we're extraordinarily lucky. You know, um, the last administration called it a miracle. We call it good science. But whether you think it's a miracle <laughs> or good science doesn't really matter. The fact is, here, here's something that I think is exclusive content for your listeners. It only works if you take it. So it's great, mm. but you can't let it just sit there in the tube. You have to actually put it in your arm. And what's neat is it's, Messenger mRNA, it's just this tiny little set of instructions to tell your body what to do, and then the instructions disappear. So it's incredible science. What else is interesting and important, it turns out, is things like people are under the mistaken belief that this vaccine was rushed at warp speed. I don't know why they think that, but they think it was rushed at warp (laughs) speed, and they don't like that. And Mm. the reality is that the mRNA technology was developed over a decade ago, and they had been investing in it in basic science, basically taxpayer dollars 
and very smart people at the FDA and a place called BARDA and at the NIH, all places that you know you are personally responsible for getting funding to, by the way, they were taking those dollars and investing them in things like, hey, maybe this messenger RNA platform will someday come in handy. So this was a lot of foresight. So when they started to put this vaccine together at the beginning of last year, it wasn't, in fact, a rushed process. This was years and years of development in science. And it actually does help people to understand that because they are they understand that vaccines can't be developed in just a matter of months. And they're right. This wasn't developed in a matter of months. Are these the first vaccines that were developed under the MR, with the mRNA uh, technology? I believe they're the first vaccines to be in use. They were developing and have been developed using the platform to develop other vaccines. And, and here's the great news is this platform now is available to us if we invest in it. And thanks to Congress passing the American Rescue Plan, we now can invest in it. We can invest at scale in the capability to do mRNA vaccines even more rapidly than we did this time. And we can science the heck out of the next bug we see. Including variants. Including variants, exactly. Which everyone now uh, is talking about. Everyone's talking about these and are are afraid of them and are afraid also that uh, maybe one of these variants, like the South African uh, variant, that these vaccines will not work on that. Okay, so let's talk about <laughs> the, the uh, boosters, right? Because that's what people are saying. Well, look, if, if we get a variant that uh, is, is becoming a problem, we can give people boosters, right? And that's, that booster sounds like, this is a booster. But that's, that, that means you got to put it in people's arms just like you had to put it in, we're hoping to have 250 million or 300 million people. That's going to, it'll take a while. But you, you say this will get, it'll be done faster the next time. Yeah, I think one of the questions we have is what, how often will you need to get another vaccine? And mm -hmm. no one knows the answer to that question. But a, one good estimation might be maybe you need to get another vaccine every year. Um, that's that's kind of a re reasonable assumption. It may not be. It may be every two years. It may be every three years. And, and some of this depends on how good a job we do right now at vaccinating people and wearing masks to prevent the virus from continuing to mutate. Because if we do, and the mutation cycle is slower, because you can't mutate if you're not spreading, then in that case, you know, it could be every few years. If it starts to mutate faster and faster, if it has the right environment, then we could be vac have to be vaccinated even more frequently uh, than a year, although nobody's predicting that at this point. But yes, we've got, we've got to have factory capacity from, from my standpoint in terms of my job. Uh, I've got to make sure we have enough factory capacity and enough contracts with the vaccine manufacturers and that they have scientific processes underway to allow them to test these boosters. In the United States, the variants that we tend to have are from Great Britain and from Brazil. Is that correct? Well, we have five what we call variants of interest. 
Three of them started overseas. Two of them started in the U.S. Um, the two in the U.S., one is from New York. The other is, in, is from California. They're both coastal vaccines, so probably liberal. And then we have <laughs> one from the U.K., one from South Africa, and one from Brazil. Those are the five what scientists have identified as variants of interest because we've got lots of other variants, uh, but they but they really don't concern us. Okay, so um, which ones are most present which and which are most dangerous? So the one that's most concerning for us, certainly at the moment, is what they call B117. And B117 is the one that is also referred to as the UK variant, the one that was first spotted in the UK. The reason is it's because it's far more present in the US, it multiplies far more rapidly. So it's considered to be about 30% more contagious. And it also has a higher death rate as well. So maybe 30 to 40% higher death rate, although that's a little bit less certain. But that is in many communities, that's already 25% of the COVID cases are B117. It's pretty, and it's different regionally. It's very present in Florida. We're now starting to see it in the Midwest um, and in other places. And it's predicted that by the time we get into April, the predominant virus in the U.S. will be B117. The good news about B117 is all the vaccines approved in the U.S. have been tested against this variant and have been demonstrated to be equally effective. So basically all those variants that are in the U.S., but the South African one is the most concerning of the variants? From a different perspective, people are concerned about the South African vaccine, and that is that the vaccines, when they were tested against the South African variant, they they had a drop-off. They were still effective, but they were less effective. What does that mean? That that means you got slightly sicker or does that mean i'm going to try to explain this in a visual way you know let's say that you're in an office building and there's a giant flood and the the vaccine works like an elevator it takes you up to the 20th floor and the the flood waters reach up to let's say the sixth floor so you're well above the flood and you're fine. Now, with the South African variant, the the elevator doesn't take you quite as high. It only takes you to say the eighth floor. So the good news is it gives you some immune response, but it gives you less immune response. Uh, it, fortunately, it appears to give you enough to get over the threshold, which is why I use that that water in the building analogy because. Um, there is a point at which it really matters. And you could imagine if there was a variant that fooled the vaccine even further, where where the, the vaccine would only take you to the fourth floor or the fifth floor. But it it is less effective because it doesn't create quite as many antibodies, but it still appears to be over the threshold. So you uh, would not be in danger of getting really sick and dying, which I, I heard you on In the Bubble, by the way, your podcast that you've, you know, uh, obviously had to give up and uh, you have Bob, uh, what is it, Bob Wachter? 
something like that. Yeah, something like that. Is <laughs> he who is a, a an actual doctor? Right, um, an actual doctor. Uh, yeah, uh, who is hosting it now? And uh, so uh, he asked you about what can people do, and that you know now, and you said live. And to me, taking the vaccine, the first thing I thought of, oh my God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live. Yeah, so that's one. Yeah, and then <laughs> the two is not get so sick that you will have, you know, uh, after effects for the rest of your life. Well, yes. So I'm gonna explain that answer a little bit. Um, I also meant not die. I meant <laughs> survive. Um, but the reason I gave that answer, which I know sounds very glib, and I don't want it to be misinterpreted, is that we were getting asked very frequently, you need to tell people why they should take the vaccine. What they, in other words, tell them that they can go, you know, to a concert or this or that. Otherwise, people won't have the incentive to take the vaccine. And you know, it's a very reasonable question. People want to know, hey, if I get vaccinated, what is safe to do? So it, it but we hadn't yet seen guidance from the CDC because the CDC was at that point still studying the question. They've since come out with some, 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 some guidance, but at that point they hadn't. And so I was being asked, well, why you, you have to give people an incentive to take the vaccine. And I said, I think they have an incentive to take the vaccine. And the same reason you take the, the measles vaccine and the mumps vaccine and uh, you know, the polio vaccine, you want to live. And I don't want, you know, we sh I appreciate you bringing it up because I don't want to forget, I don't want people to forget that and how important that is. Um, but I recognize that it's also true that people want to get back to the things in their life that they value and that guidance is very important. And, and the president brought this up in his speech the other day and he talked about the 4th of July and he was saying that hopefully by the 4th of July, people will be able to get together in your backyard and do a barbecue. Uh, and that's what people are looking forward to as well, right? Yeah. And they're probably going to do it regardless of whether we get there or not. So we have to get there because I think people are, apropos this weekend, flying around for spring break and so on. But one of the things that's nice, and I think that it's nice that the CDC started this way, and I know that this is important to you, it's important to me personally as well, is what I, I just think of it as the hugging guidance, which is most people wanted to know, can I hug my grandparents? Can I hug my parents? Can I hug my grandchildren? Can I hug my kids? You know, if I've gotten the vaccine and they haven't. And that was the first, I think, very... Appropriately, that was the first bit of guidance the CDC released, which said, yes, if one party has been vaccinated, even if the other party hasn't, so long as that, that person who hasn't been vaccinated isn't high risk uh, for some reason, then you can be indoors without a mask, and indeed you can hug if, if, if you're going to be inclined to hug. Um, and so... Uh, that was pretty neat. That's a big, big, big deal. I think you know. it's pretty pretty neat. The things that I know, I can tell you, the things that I didn't appreciate or give as much appreciation to in life as I now do, you know, seeing the people I love um, 
and you know touching people your family your, your kids your grandkids being able to do that again um that that just feels like we are starting to get back the most important things and we will get there um and hopefully we will all get there and but that you know part of that depends on uh the people who are reticent to take it taking it enough of them anyway what 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 does give us the kind of immunity that we need the herd immunity we need what percentage of americans would have to take the thing well so this Tony Fauci estimate is is seventy to eighty five percent is the percentage that he he says gets to herd immunity, and I think the reason part of the reason it's not precise is with a more highly contagious variant you would need to get to a higher level of herd immunity you'd need a higher level of people people vaccinated and what Texas did and what Mississippi did is not helpful at all how is that going to affect this not positively i mean look we don't know and i and i don't want to be so arrogant as to say that i predict that because of that something bad's going to happen i will i i will be bold enough to say that because of that nothing good is going to happen but i put put aside the opening of the businesses because we all have a lot of sympathy for businesses that have had to be closed but the cost of wearing a mask feels to me so little, so little that to wear a mask for the next couple of months to give yourself a higher likelihood that we can turn the corner and not have to look back feels like a very, very low cost. It's, it's an insane thing not to do. And the, the incidence of flu and colds has shot down, right? Because people wear masks. It's been it's been like zero. <laughs> I you know, it might be smart just to wear a mask from now on, you know, when you're in crowded areas. There's there as as we all know, there's parts of the world that do and have for quite a while and I will admit to thinking that was strange. I don't know why I thought it was strange. I did too. I'd be at LAX and I'd see a plane load of folks get off from somewhere in Asia and they'd be wearing the mask. And I'd go, these people, <laughs> boy, they were, they were smart. Yeah. I mean, you've had like something like 100 deaths in total in Hong Kong, if, if even that, obviously. From, very, from COVID. Right, from COVID. And it's obviously very close. It's much closer than we are to the source of the, the disease. Well, speaking of which, I want to ask you about this. We've done a terrible job. I mean, uh, in terms of uh, we're now, what, 530-some thousand uh, de- you know, souls have passed. But the rest of the world has done, like Asia especially, but why did they do so much better than we did? So I don't think we know the entire story, but there are a couple things that I think we know are at least partially the, to credit. One is just simply past experience with infectious diseases. We were, and we, I think, behaved like people who never believed that an infectious disease could possibly come to our shores and acted in a way that most of the rest of the world, particularly, 
people who had seen infectious diseases before, like Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, did not react. Um, and so that was one of the things that cost us. And if you look at countries around the world, those that have had experience with infectious diseases tend to do better. The second, and this is a soft measure, so you can decide how you want to measure it, is countries that have more of a collective societal mentality as opposed to one that just emphasizes individual freedom, liberty, wealth, and have much more unequal societies. The unequal societies, Brazil, the U.S., Russia, where there's high amounts of income inequality and less kind of a social norm, didn't do as well. Um, because what has to happen, of course, is that people, even if they don't feel personally at risk, still take precautions in those countries because they're looking out for each other. So that's, that's I think, um, the second thing. Now, there may be other factors. That's a sad commentary on us because we've come together. World War II. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, people came together. We're a couple generations from that kind of sacrifice. Yep. You know, my, 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 I think about when you say that, I think about my grandmother who came to the country in, in 1910, um, you know, fled a very bad situation in Europe, lost a lot of brothers and sisters, had like, lived through a 10-year depression and a six-year world war. And, you know, I, I think if she looked at me right now and she'd, and she'd say, and looked at our society, she'd say, oh my God, you guys can't, you guys can't wear a mask for four weeks in a row. And, you know, I, I went without, I went without hot food for like years. I think that like we have probably, you know, our, our, our generations are probably not as, we don't have that sort of shared sacrifice. We've got it in our genes, we've got it in our lineage, but I don't think we really would have made my grandmother proud. And I hate to put politics into it, but if you look at who, as we started this conversation, who's resisting this, there is a sort of a different kind of philosophy in terms of we're all in this together between maybe us Democrats and those Republicans. You know, I, I was on Hugh Hewitt's radio program, and uh, as as I think most people listening know, a conservative radio show. And he's very pro-vaccine. And, you know, we talked about this idea in conservative communities that that they don't care about their neighbors is one that they said uh, isn't true. And I believe that. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever been to a community where people don't care about their neighbors. But, you know, it did become a sort of, well, more than sort of, we all observed this. It became kind of a um, a tribal identifier, whether you'd wear a mask or not. And and that that uh, Trump uh, must bear some a lot of responsibility for that, because he easily could have just worn the damn mask and said everybody wear the mask. I can't. I I wonder how things would have might have been different. Yeah, uh, because that be. That became political because of that, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Although, I mean, I would say now my job uh, is as much as possible, and you, you, you can hear it in the way I'm talking, which may be different than the last time I was on your program, 
is not to emphasize these differences quite as much because I want to be careful that this idea of taking a vaccine doesn't also turn into a um, tribal decision um, and that people understand that these are not, should not be politicized. And so I think President Biden is trying very hard to send the message that, guys, let's just take the politics out of this. You can fight with me about other stuff, but this shouldn't be one of them. You know, it's a dangerous game to play uh, for any of us to, in an infectious disease to kind of say, yes, our, this half will, this half won't. That's a very strange place to be. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more from Andy Slavitt right after this. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We're back with Andy Slavitt. What is the new normal going to look like going, like, say, in the fall? What's going to be the new normal in this country in terms of, okay, Everyone who's going to be vaccinated, vaccinated. We've really hit close to herd immunity or herd immunity. What's life going to be like? How's it going to be different than it was? How's it going to be the same? So, look, I think if we do a great job and really pull together, take the vaccine, um, stay with public health measures for as long as we can, um, we could have a we could have a pretty, I'll say, normal summer camp, sports, et cetera, et cetera. I'm quite confident, quite confident that school can begin on time next fall in person with plenty of the amenities, sports and otherwise. Now, there will be communities around the country where they maybe have low vaccination rates. And in those communities, you know, they may, there may be things will be more cautious. And I think there will certainly be occasional flare-ups. But if we have good testing, good antivirals, continue to boost with the vaccines, we manage the variants, those can be exceptions. They don't have to dominate our lives. You know, will we have full football stadiums? Maybe not at the beginning of the season. Maybe at the beginning of the season, at some point during the season, probably. Will people go to rock concerts, rap concerts, cello concerts? Uh, probably only cello concerts of those three. Well, uh, <laughs> well, those are usually more sparse. Sparse, right. 
Yes, exactly. We're going to build our way up the <laughs> Rolling Stones concerts. Speaking of this, I would just want what about an immunity passport kind of thing? Like, if you've gotten, like, okay, we'll let you in if you can show us your uh, vaccination thing. So is that is that tenable? Can you do that in, in America? Well, so in Israel, they have something called the Green Pass, which the government has issued, and you really need it to go places. Now, I don't think that's what will happen in the U.S. I think what will happen in the U.S. is there will be certain things, very likely, not driven by the government, but driven by, say, a cruise ship or a concert, or maybe uh, going to a place of business or going to a school where if you show a credential of sorts, probably like an RFID code that they will have you, you know, you're able to enter. And if you don't, maybe that, you know, you can't. The, the cruise lines that have begun to operate, not in the U.S., but they're operating in different parts of the world, they're vaccine-only cruises. You have to have vaccine in order to take the cruise. So, you know, I, I suspect this will evolve. I suspect there will be strong feelings about this. I suspect there will be potential legal questions and issues. You know, our view, and I spoke about this at a press conference, is that that will not be a place where government will intervene, but it'll be a place where the private sector and nonprofit groups will. And that if there are credentials that we think they ought to be free, they ought to be available both digitally and in paper. They ought to be available in multiple languages. Uh, they ought to be private and they ought to be secure. And if they have those features, then th that's the kind of thing that we think is appropriate. It might be an interesting, it might be a good incentive for people to get inoculated. Yes. Yes. And I think that's likely, you know, it'll likely be part of the landscape. Although, again, you know, I, I don't want that to be interpreted as the government thinks that that's a good idea because that's not. Um, I don't think that's the right message. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I think that's smart. I think you're being smart, which is a good quality <laughs> in what you're doing. I think that's, that's important. Um, speaking of smart, you told me something about Fauci named one of the sexiest men. Is it, did I hear that from you? Uh, Fauci. Sexiest, or did you, or did you just hear it from Fauci? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was named one of the sexiest men alive. Yes, he was named one of the sexiest men alive. And let me by whom? People Magazine. By People Magazine. People okay. Magazine. It, it actually he was nominated, but apparently he lost to someone named Michael B. Jordan who I don't know is nearly as sexy uh, as, as Anthony Fauci. I mean, I will say that um, it's really gone to his head. Uh, <laughs> he's very, he's a different person. Uh, mm -hmm. He dresses differently. Talks differently. <laughs> uh, he, uh, no, he, he, he was named, he was definitely named one of the sexiest men alive. That is true. Yeah, I, he's certainly the sexiest eighty-year-old guy, don't you think? <laughs> you know, I I've always felt funny calling him sexy, just because I I just feel that's a weird thing to do. So yeah, the ice was broken because you, know, you work together. 
Yeah, it's, it's awkward for him. It's awkward for me. Uh, I also think he probably thinks that I should have gotten it. And that's awful. I know Lana believes that. No, I she would have for Fauci, Lana. actually. Yeah, I'm sure she did. Um, speaking of your family, when I was on, on In the Bubble, I told I was very complimentary of your son, Zach. Uh, you were very nice to Zach. I, and I meant it. And what I liked, Zach uh, had the job on the show of finding stuff, finding facts, finding interesting stuff, right? And yeah. reporting on it. And what I liked about the way Zach did it how old was he at the time? 17, 18? He was 18. 18. He did not try to be anything other than himself and an 18 year old. Uh, you know, th there's this thing about uh, I don't really care about clothes very much. I'm, you may know that. <laughs> the, the reason I bring this up is that it's if you really care about clothes or you don't care about clothes at all, that's the best place to be at if about clothes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I think I put Zach in the category of not caring at all about how he was coming off. Yeah. And I thought that was so great. Like Brian Williams, who I consider a, a great a broadcaster and is charming and witty and 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 great in in serious stuff and and obviously someone who wants to be that way and cares about being that way and revels in it and that's great zach is is doesn't <laughs> and he he was fantastic on your on your podcast he could not have sound more sounded more bored because he could have been more bored as it turns out Chelsea Clinton comes on the program, and I think that Zach, in, in the clothes analogy, is the equivalent of he's going to at least wear khakis, right? He's at least going to wear a button-down shirt in the, in the clothes analogy you're making. Mm -hmm. Zach showed up in the equivalent of, like, a, of swim trunks. <laughs> so I said, hey, Zach, let me introduce you to Chelsea Clinton. Oh, hi, Zach. So great to meet you. So Zach said, I should introduce my 18-year-old son, who is my co-host on the show, Zach. Zach, can you say hi to Chelsea Clinton? Hey. Oh, hi, Zach. That's 18-year-old for hi. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because you think you uh, are an incredibly accomplished person. Look, you're, you're whatever you are on the task force. <laughs> I can't remember. You don't have a, anyway, a senior advisor and, uh, you, you saved, uh, Obamacare. Uh, we've gone through that before. Um, and you would think that most people who, uh, like that level of achievement would have a children who feel some need. <laughs> <laughs> And I just think it's it speaks uh, worlds of you and Lana <laughs> that, he is, that he is the way he is. Uh, it turned out that what he wanted mm -hmm. was to do stuff 18-year-olds do. 
and he did uh, and he did not and want he couldn't and he couldn't because it was right the whole point of in the bubble was do stuff he's in that, your bubble <laughs> yeah, exactly what he did not want is to do stuff that grown-ups think 18 year olds should think are very cool like, <laughs> he had no interest in that he wanted to do stuff that 18 year olds did and i couldn't for a long time figure out why he was so bored and and unexcited about being the researcher and on-air presence for one of the experts in the country on covid during the covid crisis <laughs> I, would, I, I would even enjoy that it, you know at the very least you know, something for his college resume, perhaps. <laughs> but he says, well, I don't think I'm going to put that on my college application. And I said, really, Zach? He's like, yeah, I don't know. Wasn't, you know. Well, wait a minute. I'm not even going to include that because that makes him sound kind of stupid. Well, he did. He did ultimately <laughs> put it. He did okay, ultimately yes. put it down. But um, he kind of, like, it didn't occur to him. Like when he was filling out his application, um, it was, that's how meaningless <laughs> the program was to like in his mind like the the phone call he got from a girl that night was for 10 minutes was like a thousand times more important than of course of show. course of course of I course guess. i guess of course but i didn't figure it out for a while <laughs> well uh you were 18 once but congratulations and thank you thank you you guys uh i feel very very good about the job you guys are doing i know that you don't take any any uh victory laps at all uh until this is all over but and i um i think that uh people have a lot of confidence now that you you guys are at least doing the best you can and you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes, but I, but also that you will admit it when you've made mistakes. I really appreciate you saying that. I really hope that people feel like they're getting the truth from us, that we are making an effort. I will say that I know what people have been through in this country, the, the trauma, the anxiety, the loss. And I think that... The president doesn't expect us to have a good night's sleep until people are safer again. Whether the answer, whether that is, you know, back to normal or whether that is just in a much, much lower risk environment so that everyone can get back to the things in their life that they really value and the people that they really value, you know, for the period of time that I'm here. And I'm only here for, for about four and a half months. Is it possible that you might extend that? I'm going to say the answer to that is no. I, and I also don't think I will, will, will need to because at the end mm -hmm. of May, um, I, while we won't be all done, by the time I leave, I think we're going to be in, um, in, the, in, in a position where the things that really need to be in place to make the rest of this conclude it successfully will, will hopefully be there. It doesn't mean there won't be any more, more curveballs, but it means we'll be ready for them. And, and, and I would also, it's very important that I say, I am not by any means the critical piece of this. I'm, I'm part of a team of, of great people who are, I think, going to be more than capable of continuing to do the things that they're, that they're already doing.
Well, I'm very, very impressed with the team. Uh, and uh, Rochelle Walensky is uh, what a great head of the CDC. President really has put together a terrific team. And thank you all for the heart. I know you guys are working night and day. And um, it's, it gives, it's just so heartening that your guys are doing this work. And uh, we're very, I'm very grateful for that. It's a privilege. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuel, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.